<laughs> we welcome you to our services. The last day of our uh, spring Bible conference. It has been a good time. Uh, grateful again for all those that have traveled so far to be with us. Uh, pray the Lord will give you all traveling grace as you head back home this afternoon. Uh, it was so good to get to meet Robert and his son Daniel and get to be again with Elaine Bell and David and Rachel and the boys from Florida. And I'm not going to try to name all the names and the daughter from Florida. <laughs> good to have Bradley and his family back with us this morning. Uh, good to have our visitors with us this morning. Uh, I wish everybody had the privilege that I have uh, to get to spend time uh, with these two dear men that are such an important part of my life. I, I love, I always think about that movie, uh, Brian's song. If I talk about it too much, I go to squall. And I remember Brian, oh, uh, Gail Sayers giving his speech, and he said, I love Brian Piccolo. Well, I love Bill Parker and Gary Shepard. Uh, as much as a man can love two men. They have been uh, such good friends to me. Uh, they are both faithful gospel preachers. Uh, Bill has been like an extension of our church, and most of the things that we have been able to do over the last 20-some-odd uh, years has been through the graciousness of Eager Avenue Grace Church down in Albany, Georgia. All of our video equipment, the fact that we are on Sermon Audio to begin with, uh, they gave us the, the funds to put us in that position. Uh, the building that you're sitting in, uh, they gave us a significant amount of money when we originally bought this building back in 98. And uh, we, the, the group that was here then uh, made up the rest of it when we purchased this building in 98. So uh, they... they it's not over the money, it's over the friendship, but I appreciate the fact that they uh, trust us that we are preaching the same gospel, worshiping the same God enough to where they're willing to invest their money into the work here. They will be traveling home tomorrow. Bill and Debbie fly out tomorrow morning uh, around 10-something, I think, 11.30. Uh, remember them in your prayers, and then Gary flies out from Shreveport tomorrow about 12.30, so Pam's going that away, and me and Gary's going that away tomorrow morning. I'll be carrying him to Shreveport to put him on a plane over there, so we, we're grateful for your, your being here. If you missed any of the services, I have I actually caught all the way up yesterday. All of them are already out on Sermon Audio, the entire live stream of each service, except for the mistake on the, the names running off the edge of the <laughs> and then I got the sermons uploaded all the way up to date, so they're all out there to be viewed. So we're gonna do we're gonna treat this morning just like Sunday Bible class. Gary's gonna come preach to us in this hour. When we get done, there's coffee. I don't know if we've ate all the donuts up. Is there is there anything left back in the back to eat? I know there's food for afterward. But we'll take a, a little break when Gary gets done. There's two bathrooms in the back. There's one bathroom right back here in the back, and then there's another bathroom in the addition. And then we'll try to start our regular service at 11 o'clock this morning, and Bill will finish the service out this morning. So. Okay. Okay. You interrupted me, sir. I thought you was coming up here to tell me the mic wasn't working again. <laughs> I was about to hit the panic button when you started down the aisle. <laughs> Can't take those kind of things. You don't know what that does to the old man's blood pressure. 
Good to have all of you. I pray the Lord, I, the, 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 the sermons have been just outstanding so far. The fellowship has been better. I started to come up here and check on you youth last night, but the women talked me out of it. They wouldn't let me do it. I hope you all had a good time uh, together last night. Good to have all of you. Pray the Lord blesses us. Uh, Kenny, if you would, lead us in opening prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, Almighty God, Lord, we're again thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be here in this place. Father, we just uh, we stand in awe of an accomplished salvation, a righteousness imputed, Lord, a, a, a satisfaction for your law and justice so that you may be a just God and the Savior, Lord. I pray, Father, for these services today, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd give Gary and Bill the words to say this morning, that you'd give us open ears, receptive hearts to hear and understand these things, Lord. And I pray above all that Christ be lifted up and your name be glorified. One other thing I needed to mention, we are having a fellowship meal at the conclusion of the service, everything. So if you smell anything, it's probably that those two briskets that your pastor labored over yesterday. <laughs> For 15 hours, I labored over that those two briskets that are back here in the cooler back there. So you're all welcome to stay. I hope you'll stay for a time of fellowship when we conclude the second message. Gary, you come preach the gospel to us, brother. Uh, I cannot express to you what <clears throat> what a joy it's been to me <clears throat> being in this meeting and being with not only these these preachers but being with you all. I just am thankful for anywhere that God raises up a people. And causes them to believe his truth. And enables them to fellowship and be of like precious faith. And take a stand for the gospel of his glory. Thank you for all your hospitality. And uh, I hope you'll pray for me in the coming days. And uh, the saints where I try to pastor have for some 40 years, people say, well, how did you stay there that long? I said, well, they won't, don't want any preacher, and I'm about as near to it as they can find. So, but I hope it's for the gospel's sake. I mean, I invite you this morning to uh, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This passage of Scripture is like one of those seed beds. Uh, a gospel preacher cannot hardly read a verse without wanting to stop and proclaim some part of the gospel. But I'm this morning uh, like I hear a hymn that keeps ringing in my mind. There's a verse in it that says, 
suffer a sinner whose heart overflows, loving his Savior to tell what he knows. That's all I can do is tell what I know. And I don't know a lot that others seem to know. But I know something about the blessing of knowing what I'm about to say this morning. Let's begin reading in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. God has, whether you know it or not, an elect people that he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. When all the de- dust has settled, the uh, debates over justification, it still says that same thing. It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And then he goes on to talk about no possibility of being separated from God because of what is done. I know by the grace of God, that the emphasis, that the focus of the Bible, of this book that so many have, the focus of this book is Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know also that the gospel message is not about what you and I are to do. It's about what he's done, already done. And if he reveals to us what we are, what we really are, that's what we'll focus on. That's what we'll have to be interested in. The Holy Spirit convicts, but he takes the things of Christ and reveals them unto us. Where Christ is not the emphasis, the Holy Spirit is not at work. I don't care how emotional I don't care how regimented, I don't care how inspiring, and I hate that word, by the way, 
these inspirational things. I don't care how many involved in whatever it is. I don't care how great the preacher is. If Christ himself is not the focal point, the central theme, then the Holy Spirit is not present. And I know something else, and this I'm become more sure of as every passing day of my life, as every passage and part of this book I read. The central theme of Scripture being about Christ is his death. The book of life it's about a death. When we read verse 34 and hear all of this good news in these verses, it seems to just leap up off the page to me when he says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. This is not about dead theologians. This is not about men who have died various kinds of martyrs' deaths. This book is about the death of Jesus Christ. And that is our emphasis. If you turn over to Rome, I mean to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can hear that resounded and affirmed and resolved by the Apostle Paul himself. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, he says, For I determined, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not just Jesus Christ. It's not just Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus as the example and Jesus as your friend and Jesus as your provider. It's about Jesus Christ crucified. It's about his death. But it's not just about the fact that he died or the historical information that he died. It's who died. <laughs> who died. When the Bible says he gave himself, it's speaking that he gave his unique self, the God-man, god in flesh. This isn't just anybody dying here. A martyr's death. This is God in human flesh. They didn't recognize him as that when they crucified him. They didn't, they didn't 
acknowledged the fact that he was God. They didn't submit themselves to him as God, but he was still God in human flesh. And it has to do with who he died for. It's not just the announcement of his death. The gospel tells us not only who died, not only speaks of his death, but it talks about who he died for. Oh, they say, we don't know who he died for. I know who he died for. I can read one verse in Scripture in John chapter 10. He provided two definite verses there, but I can read one verse believing God and believing the words of Christ from his own lips. I knew who he died for. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. And in case you didn't understand that, I give my life for the sheep. So at the heart of the gospel is not only the fact that Christ died, it's not only about who, he, who it was that died on that cross, it's about who he died for. The good news, the glad tidings are for his sheep. And he died to save them by doing what God required to do and for him to do that, for Christ to be a sinner savior, he had to come into this world. He had to take upon himself sinless flesh as every offering and sacrifice pictured until his coming. He had to take on sinless flesh and he had to live under that law to show himself as such, the perfect sinless sacrifice, and he had to die. He had to die. If you and I are to be saved, he had to die. He had to shed his blood. That's what the blood is all about. The life is in the blood, and that blood must flow out of him. He must die if we're to be saved. He could have died a martyr's death, or he had, could have come as the teacher of teachers. He could have come as a, the example, whatever else it was, and you and I would still have perished. It is Christ that died. Ought not the Christ to have suffered this death and therefore entered into his glory? And furthermore, the scriptures tell us about what kind of death that he died, showing that he died as a sacrifice. He died as an offering he didn't die to be offered. That's blasphemy. He died to be the offering. And the scripture says he died as a, an offering for sin. Everybody that Christ died for is a sinner. 
He died as a substitute. He died in the place of his people, of his elect. He died as a representative man. He went out there like David before Goliath, this representative man. And the scripture says that Goliath laid laid down the rules as it was, but he did so according to God's will. He said, if, we, if I defeat you, then you'll be, your people will serve us. But if, if you defeat me, uh, uh, my people will serve you. So whatever was done by one was representative, as a representative, affected everybody. And so when Christ goes out there uh, and stands before all the enemies of God and all the enemies of his people, and he, in his death, overcomes, they're all saved. That's a picture there of representation. He died as a representative. And not simply sin in general, but he says there that his name will be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Why is his name Jesus? Because it means Savior, Jehovah's Savior. Who does he say? He saves his people. What does he save them from? He saves them from all their sins. How does he do it? He does it in his death. And also the great emphasis of Scripture also is what he accomplished in his death. Men say, well, I know the gospel. I'm going to preach it here in one verse. And uh, Jesus Christ died, uh, was resurrected. He died and was buried and was resurrected again. That's the gospel. No. Paul said that he preached the gospel, and when he preached the gospel, he preached how that Christ died according to the Scriptures. Christ died according to the Scriptures. His death is characterized by victory. It's always characterized by success. And men and women don't know anything in our day about the success of Christ. They don't know about the victory that he accomplished. They don't know about the salvation that he wrought. They don't know what he finished on that cross. They don't know, and therefore, it's not good tidings to them. That's what the gospel is, glad tidings. And if it comes to us as do, 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 that's just what it is, do, do. That's what Paul called it. The work is done. The, the, the gospel declares an accomplished work. It tells us what Christ did in his death. That's what Paul's saying. In all these things, it is Christ that died. He saved his people. He accomplished their salvation. He put away their sins. Hebrews says, Now the God of peace that brought again the dead, 
from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And to assure that we never, ever leave that foundation, that, that mooring, that, that fundamental thing that it, it's all about, the Lord has given us two ordinances even. What's the first one? What do we first confess? We confess him in baptism. What's baptism all about? It's our identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death. This is our hope. This is our salvation. This is how we're saved and we're representing that and confessing it in baptism. We died in Christ, we were buried in Christ, and we're risen in Christ. All a finished work. That's what baptism confesses. It doesn't do anything to us. It doesn't make us special. It doesn't wash away our sin. It's just simply a looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first Confession of Christ. We confess his death. Not only that, but he has in his mighty purpose of grace, he's caused us to continually confess that. To confess that as our hope and all our salvation and our only righteousness that God has settled justly and dealt with us in the person of Jesus Christ, in the matter of our sin, we are given the Lord's table. You know, it's funny that everything about this message of life is about death. We take the Lord's, the elements of the Lord's table, and we continually confess in it our sinfulness. Only sinners can come to the table. Only sinners are baptized. And we confess that by his death, we take of his these elements, the bread and the wine, we take that and we confess again and again and again every time we do it. The death of Christ. Turn over to first. Corinthians chapter 11. These are not sacraments. They're not means that God literally conveys grace to us, imparts as the word that the definition has, imparts grace to us. They're not sacraments. They don't give us anything. This does not become the body and blood of Christ after some priest prays over it, or it doesn't even become the body and bread of Christ after we consume it like others believe it. It's just representative of his death. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to him in <clears throat> verse 23. It says, for, after, for I have received, that's what Paul preached, what he had received, all, 
all the time. For I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same that the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. It's not really his body, it's bread. But it pictures his body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, and saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink of me in remembrance of me. So he talks here about a remembrance of Christ, and both times remembering him how? In his broken body and the blood that is shed. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do what? Show the Lord's death. That's what we do in baptism. That's what we do every time we gather around the Lord's table. We do show the Lord's death. Why? Because that's our salvation. That's our hope. That's the thing that is the basis of all God's forgiveness and all of redemption and all of uh, salvation as a whole. That's, that's all of it. It is Christ that died. We remember his death, what it accomplished for us. He said, you do show the Lord's death. We remember that he said it's finished on that cross. We show his death. Paul, in, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again, or 1. Listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 1. He said, in verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Doesn't matter who it's, whether it's a Jew or whether it's a Gentile. We know that either group, they're all sinners. We know also that God has an elect people, a remnant according to the, the election of grace amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. We know that. So what do we preach? Christ crucified. Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. Just foolishness, stumbling over all these various traditions. And But unto them which are called, Unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, what do you preach, Paul? The cross. 
We're always drawn back. Verse 18 says, for the preaching of the cross. That means the cross death. That doesn't mean a sign or a symbol, but the preaching of Christ uh, on the cross. Uh, that's the obedience that we talk about. His obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the obedience that saves us. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Paul preached the cross. Didn't matter where he went. Didn't matter who his audience was. Before kings, governors, the Pharisees, of which he was once one himself, he preached the cross, the death of Jesus Christ. Because it's by the cross, it's by the death, and shed blood of Christ that all the sins of God's people are paid for, put away. And that's the only way they could be put away. They couldn't be just, a just God can't just say, oop, it's okay, sweep it under the rug. They have to be paid for. They have to be paid for. Look over in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This is, I think Romans chapter 5, I'll, of course I probably said that three times already every time I preach, but Romans, Romans chapter 5 is really one of my favorite passages because it talks about one man's obedience. All these preachers today, they're talking about your obedience. Well, you better be obedient servants and you better... Well, you better be, but ain't no salvation in that. It's by his obedience. Romans chapter 5 and beginning in verse 6. It says, For when we were yet strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You'll, you'll never search and see, be able to see in this world your name in the Lamb's book of life. But I found mine right there. <laughs> Christ died for the ungodly. Man's always refusing the ground upon which God shows mercy. Sinnerhood. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. How does God show his love to his people? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Christ died. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world 
and in our place and for our salvation and blessing, he died for us. He laid down that perfect life. It says here, much more than being justified by his blood. That's his death. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Why? Because he's already borne the wrath of God on, for his elect. He gives us a cross to bear sometimes that's kind of heavy. But that cross that had the curse in it, he bore alone. He bore alone. He, we have to sacrifice sometimes and do things we don't want to, but the debt he's already paid. He died. When John sees the, the redeemed in heaven, the Lamb, what's the character of Christ in the Revelation? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is that sacrifice. Not only worthy to be, to be recognized and honored and worshipped, but he's worthy to God. He laid down his life. He shed his blood. He saved all his people. And when we read in the Revelation, it, John says, I, I saw them there and they sung a new song saying, Heaven was about this. Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. That's still the subject. Will be for eternity. You were slain. And has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue and people and nation. When he sees them, it says, he says, the, the angel asked him, who are, who are these? And he said, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. Sounds to me like they went through it. That's what this world has to offer especially for the people of God. The trying of your faith being much more precious than gold or silver. Sir, thou knowest, he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In the blood. And those who overcame, it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death because he that was their life. I, I'm loving this life less and less, this natural life. We're weak. It's, that life is fading away. And it started fading kind of fast. When I hit 70, it was like a rocket. But that life is in the Lamb. I thought about it. This is our confession. 
This is our covenant. Hang this one on the wall if you want to. This is our comfort. When you're you're in the throes of failure or doubt or persecution, when you're in the throes of your own flesh that could leave you hopeless and helpless and you see the misery of what we are in ourselves, it still says the same thing. It was Christ that died. That ain't going to change. That's the basis for that everlasting salvation. That's the commendation of God's love toward us. We're not going to ever change in God's sight if we're his people. He's viewed us from all eternity as perfect. Thou art all fair, my beloved. Why? Because it's Christ that died. Washed us clean. That's gospel 101. But that's gospel 102 and 103. And your BS and BA and your master's and your PhD is all the way through. You may learn a little bit more. Hope you do. But all you learn will be no basis for your salvation. It'll be, it is Christ that died. Sometimes I'm the most miserable sinner in my own eyes even. that, As, as you can imagine, just I, I, I do things and say things sometimes, and I, I find myself saying, or the devil saying to me, ain't no way you could be a Christian. Yes, there is. It is Christ that died. That's my hope. That's my comfort. That's my gospel. When he sees the blood, he never stopped looking at it. From the lambs slain from the foundation of the world all the way into glory, it's still the lamb, it's still the blood. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We show his death till he come. I've never made much progress in anything. And I hope I don't make much progress in this gospel. Here's where I'm camping out. This is the rock that I'm on, though everything else sinks. This is it. It is Christ that died. Past tense. Finished my salvation. That's my hope. That's my comfort. Thank you so much.
Huh? Okay. That's including the people in the back, too? Yeah, I mean, 
Marcus Harassi last night about his text when they're off the screen. He's been flipping back and forth on the camera. See what you're doing, right. so you have to do it all with your mind.
Does everybody have a bullet? Yeah, you'd be singing a different song if you get the old bullet. Yeah, it's a new one today. Does everybody have a bullet? You got don't try to sing out of the old one. Well, you're gonna be singing a different song than us. Gotta have a new bullet. Gotta have a new bulletin today. There's some back at the back back there. The the the, the call to worship is Jehovah is my righteousness, is the right right first line. Yeah, I've got it. Leave it alone. John, who is, I wish there was someone else. <laughs> Don't deal. It, it is what it is. It's in, it's in oh, forever. Perpetuity. Forever it will be out there. And probably it will be on the page where the sermon starts. It says Gary Bill Parker and Gary Shepherd. <laughs> okay, is that, do you see anybody else coming down that hall, Debbie? Is everybody up here? Is anybody Well, we welcome you to our last service of our 2023 Spring Bible Conference. I think, I was telling Robert Higby just a moment ago, I think this is the the best attended conference that we've ever had. I think we have 60 people here this morning. We don't put a lot of trust in numbers, but uh, I'm grateful for all of you that have come down, and I'm, I'm so grateful to the people of Grace Baptist for your, your turnout to be here with us and your faithfulness uh, to the gospel for all the years that we've been together. And I'm uh, extremely grateful. I'm not going back through and trying to name everybody's name, but I'm grateful for all of you that have traveled uh, to be with us this week. Uh, Pray the Lord will give you his traveling grace as you go home. Uh, If you would, if you're on Facebook or anything, please let me know when you get back home. I'd like to know when you've arrived safely. Uh, I think the world of you. I've I've known uh, some of you for quite some time. I've known David Bell, actually, longer than I thought I knew him. <laughs> he remembered me. I met him back in 2011. I didn't remember meeting him in 2011, but I, my head was somewhere else back in 2011 than it is in 2023. But pray the Lord will bless us. Take your, your bulletin and open to the call to worship. Uh, it's the tune, All Things Work Out for Good. Let's stand together. Kenny, come lead us, please. Jehovah is my righteousness, in him alone I'll boast. My tongue his mercy shall confess, who seeks and saves the lost, who seeks and saves the lost. When sunk in fears with anguish pressed, bowed down with weighty woe, my weary soul in him finds rest, from him my comfort flows, from him my comfort flows. I'll lay me down and sweetly sleep 
for I have peace with God. And when I wake, he shall me keep through faith in Jesus' blood. Through faith in Jesus' blood. Ten thousand and ten thousand foes shall not my soul destroy. My God, their counsels overthrows and turns my grief to joy, and turns my grief to joy. If you would take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. We want to begin in verse 18 and read down through the end of this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, bless us, and this time of worship together. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious heavenly Father, Lord God of heaven and earth, how we thank you and praise you for your mercy and your grace so richly and freely bestowed upon such unworthy sinners as ourselves. To think, Lord God, that you, before the foundation of the world, determined to glorify and honor yourself before the eyes of mankind, your people, showing yourself in your character as both a just God who will by no means clear the guilty and at the, yet, at the same time a gracious, merciful Savior to such ungodly sinners. We owe you a debt of gratitude for which we will, by your grace, sing your praises not only through the remainder of this lifetime, but throughout all eternities. We follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. We thank you, Lord God, for this blessed week that you've given us to have our brothers and sisters come from so many various places to be with us as we have gathered to worship you in spirit and to rejoice in Christ Jesus and to put no confidence in the flesh. 
We thank you for the glorious messages that have set forth Christ in his person and his word. Magnifying and honoring him is the only Savior of sinners. Putting us in our place as sinners totally dependent on a righteousness which we had not, no part in producing, no part in maintaining. Lord, one produced for us in our name and in our nature by your Son, our Savior, our Redeemer, our substitute, our surety, our elder brother, our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, that now you would strengthen your servant, Bill Parker, that you'd give him the words to speak to our hearts, minds, and understanding, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, heart, mind, and will to comprehend the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. Lord, if there are any here who have not been brought to true faith and true repentance, we pray that if it is this day as they hear this gospel preached that you'd be faithful to your promise that where you told us, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all unto myself. We pray that you would call your children by your glorious gospel, all that hear it, Lord God, as it goes out over the live stream. We pray that if there's any that are your children, your elect, those that you chose in Christ, that you'd be pleased to use this humble message of Christ and him crucified to bring your people to true faith and true repentance. We pray for all those that are on the prayer list that you would continue to watch over and care for and provide all their needs according to your riches and glory. But, Lord, we pray not our will, but thy will be done. We pray for your traveling grace upon all our brethren as they go their separate ways and head home today, that you would carry them safely to their appointed destination, that you would bless us as we go forth in this next week. Bless us now in this time of worship. May we truly glorify and honor you in everything that we say, whether we preach, whether we pray, whether we sing, whatsoever we do, whatsoever we work. May we do it all in the name of our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name and for his sake alone. Amen. Now, I want to do one thing. I want to take a picture. This is the first time I've had every one of you out here in front of me. The whole group, other than the ladies, is back in the back. And I, I need to get a... That's the wrong... Let me turn the camera around. I don't want me to have... Back up. Debbie Parker, you're not... There it is. That's the whole group. Smile, everybody. One more. Okay. No, I've, I've got one of me. I don't need to be in. I'd, I hate this. I, I, I love this week. But I hate this day. <laughs> uh, I look forward. I get to see Bill and Debbie uh, just basically one time a year. Occasionally we see them two times a year. And uh, Pam and I, they're not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, but they have been dear friends. But I hate to see them go, but I'm grateful that they're here again. Uh, Bill, come preach. Yeah, it does say it's you. It does say it's you. Sorry about that, dear. I don't know. I might want it to say. I might want it to. After I get finished, I might want it to say Gary Shepard. 
I told Gary, I said, you might get death threats after this. You never know. Well, Richard, it's uh, it's mutual. Debbie and I both. We we just we love you all so much. We love love all the folks here. And uh, and like I said, this like I said the other night, this to be here with all of you all and uh, some of you have come so far. It just overwhelms me. And I know what you're here for. You're not here just to hear me or Gary. You're here because you want to worship the Lord and hear the truth. And you want to fellowship with one another, and that's so important. We need that. Uh, it, it's it's just something. There's no replacement for it. This, uh, you know, one old writer said that our worship services, where Christ is preached, uh, that that's the closest to heaven we'll get here on earth. And I believe that's true. And I see that so so much. So I do uh, want to express our appreciation for your hospitality and your gifts and your prayers for us. Uh, uh, how how pleasant and how good it is for brethren to come together. Uh, and I, I want to be a promoter of that. I know a lot of people think I'm not, but I am, and, and I try to be. Uh, so let's, uh, let's just enjoy the light of the glory of God that he's given us in his truth. And uh, uh, we may meet, meet again, we may not. Who knows? Gary said it. When he turned 70, he said it went, would you like a rocket? Well, I'm fixing to get like a rocket then because I turned 70 in September if the Lord lets me li- uh, live that long. So I don't know. That didn't give me too much to look forward to, did it? Falling, Falling rocket, yeah. Yeah, a dud. <laughs> well, let me get to the message that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. I I dealt with some of this in part back in in the last message that I preached from mainly John chapter 2, but I want you to look at John chapter 3, and I want to talk about this. I I want to look at from the scripture this question, who is born of, of God? Who is born of God? Who is born again? And when we speak of the new birth, we're talking about the issues of regeneration, conversion, calling, all of those things. And here as Christ uh, confronts a man named Nicodemus, the man Nicodemus came to Christ by night. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So we know he was a religious man. We know that he was a man who had attained high office in uh, the Jewish religion, in the Pharisees. It says, the same came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus recognized that, that Jesus of Nazareth uh, was, um, was sent from God. Now, he didn't know, he didn't know Christ as Savior. He didn't know Christ as the, as the Messiah, the Lord. And so Christ confronts him with something that is just so interesting Uh, He says in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again. And you you might have in your concordance that born again means born from above. So we're talking about a miraculous spiritual birth here. A born, born of God, born from above. He says he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't have spiritual eyes. 
And then Nicodemus, whose mind was on earthly things, thinking on earthly things like most false religionists do. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, then Christ answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, uh, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I believe the reference to water there is the reference to the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some say, well, he's talking about physical birth, born of water. In other words, saying you've got to be born physically and spiritually, and that's true, no doubt about that. But I believe he's referring there to the Word of God, which is the water is an emblem of the Word. But what he's doing is he's trying to uh, uh, show the issues of this is a spiritual birth. It's not an earthly birth. And he says in verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he, he, he's showing there's something important too. But marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the spirit. Now, let's, let's go over just a few things. What do we know about the new birth? Okay. What do we know uh, in Scripture? Well, we know, number one, the new birth is a necessary work. If salvation is to come, you must be born again, he said. It says, he didn't say you might be born again. Or you can be born again if you want to. He didn't say that. He said you must be born again. Because if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And the seeing there has to do with an understanding, a knowledge and understanding that brings a person to faith in Christ is what he's talking about. And you can't see that because you don't have spiritual eyes. You can't enter into the kingdom of heaven except you're born again. Now, why is that? Because we're born naturally, we're born spiritually dead. We fell in Adam into a state of spiritual death and sin and depravity. And so in order to see and know and enter the kingdom of heaven, spiritually we must be born from above. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Man left to himself will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Man of his own free will, which is non-existent, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you believe this message of God's grace today in Christ, it's because you've been born again. And if you walk out of here not believing, it's because God has left you alone, left you to yourself. So it's, it's a necessary work. Every one of God's elect, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, justified in him, for whom he was made surety, for whom he came to this earth and lived and died and was buried and rose again, will be born again. It's a necessary work. Well, secondly, here's another thing we know about it. The new birth is the result, the fruit, the uh, uh, evidence uh, uh, or we'll say, let's just keep it that way, the result and the fruit of the work of Christ in his obedience unto death to establish righteousness by which God has already justified us. 
You see, uh, in Romans 8.10, I quote this all the time, the body is dead because of sin, our physical bodies, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so when we think about uh, the ground of salvation, well, that's the merits of Christ's work unto death, his obedience unto death, his righteousness, and that's his righteousness imputed. And the new birth is the product, the result, the fruit of what Christ has accomplished in time on the cross. And let me make this statement here because this heresy, is, is, it's always been uh, a problem throughout the history of, of uh, uh, Christianity. The new birth is not our righteousness before God. That's right. Christ's righteousness is our righteousness before God. The merits of his obedience unto it. And when the scripture says that we are made the righteousness of God in him, it's talking about our justification, not our regeneration. When we stand before God, we have one righteousness to plead, and that's the blood of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And so when, just as Christ was made sin by the imputation of the, the sins of God's elect to him, we're made the righteousness of God by the imputation of his righteousness to us. And out of that, the, the fruit and the result of that is the new birth. So understand that. Another thing we know about the new birth is this, that it is a sovereign, powerful, invincible irresistible work of God, born of God. We read it the other night over in, in John chapter 1 where he talks about as many as received him, as believed in Christ and received him. In John 1 and verse 12, to them gave he power the right to become or to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of, not of blood, nor the will or the works of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. This is God's work. It's not man's work. And it is uh, what we would call, it's a, it's a unilateral work in the sense that God is the source and the power of it. it does, it's not a work that God works when he says, well, now I'll do this if you'll do that. It's not, by, it's not by our cooperation. God makes us willing in the day of his power. He draws us by the Spirit to himself. But if God the Holy Spirit comes in power from Christ and makes that word effectual to you, you won't resist it. You can't resist it. I've always said it this way, if you're born again, you cannot ignore that truth, you cannot deny that truth, and you cannot leave that truth. That's so. Christ said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh me I will no wise cast out. This is the will of him that sent me, that all which he giveth me I should lose nothing but raise it up again the last, at the last day. And then another thing we know about the new birth is this. It can only be known by its evidences. 
I believe that's what Christ is saying here in verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So with that in mind, who is it that we can see from the Word of God who is born of God? Well, let me give you several things here from the Scripture. First of all, turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And the first thing that we understand about the new birth by way of what we might call evidences to understand who, are, who is born of God is that those, are born, those people are born of God to whom God has revealed the knowledge of himself in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ so as to bring them unto faith in Christ. And it's a revealed knowledge. God must reveal himself. Paul said it that way in Galatians 1. Uh, uh, I can't remember which verse it is, but in Galatians 1 he said, when it pleased the Lord to reveal himself in me. I've heard preachers say, uh, they'll, go, they'll say something like this. say, well, now, see, Paul didn't say reveal himself to me, but in me. It's to me also. Because there's got to be the truth. If God's going to reveal himself, how's he going to reveal himself apart from the truth? The Spirit of God who does this great work is the Spirit of truth. Christ said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So look at Romans 1 and verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now there's your key. The gospel of Christ. People argue all the time, well, what do you have to know? A lot of people, I think, that question should be put in the form of, what can I get away with not knowing? You've got to know the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, we're told in the Bible that the gospel is the revelation of God, of the glorious person and the finished work of Christ as the surety, the substitute, the redeemer of his people, whom God chose before the foundation of the world and gave to him. And all of that is secured in Christ by his obedience unto death, which is summarized in this term, the righteousness of God. Look back. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Now, how can the gospel be the power of God? Only by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit, who makes it effectual to our salvation, to our new birth, our regeneration and conversion. He said, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's the gift of faith, God-given faith, God laying the foundation in our hearts. And he says, to the Jew first and to the Greek also, for therein is the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It's the merit, the value, the worth of the obedience and death uh, unto death of Jesus Christ for the sins of his people. So it's the righteousness of God revealed from faith. Now that word faith there, I believe, is the embodiment of the gospel itself, the truth, knowledge revealed, who God is in his holiness, his justice, and his mercy and his grace who we are in our sinfulness, our depravity, 
Remember, the Spirit convicts us of sin because we believe not on Christ. He convicts us of righteousness because Christ has gone unto the Father. He convicts us of judgment because the prince of this world is cast out. That's the embodiment of this faith. It's not just believing something. It's believing the truth. It's believing in Christ. And so it's knowledge revealed from faith, a a knowledge that God gives me through the preaching of the gospel. And it's to faith. That's the gift of faith whereby we receive it. We believe it. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's from faith to faith. And it says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The justified, those whose sins have been washed away by the blood, forgiven, those who have been declared righteous, In God's sight, through Christ's righteousness imputed, they live by faith. They live by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's how we live. And I believe even when the Bible speaks about right living, that's what it's talking about. It's not just talking about human morality. That's included. But it's living in the light of Christ, knowing that he's the only righteousness we have. That I have none within myself. And that's the testimony of the Spirit. Let me show you another one here. Look at Romans chapter 6. And look at verse 17. Paul writes, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. Now, the servant of sin there is an unbeliever. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that teaching, which was delivered to you, and I believe literally that means which you were delivered to. God in his providence brought you under the preaching of the gospel. He delivered you here. And being then made free from sin, that word freed there means liberated, you became the servants of righteousness, which is servants of Christ. And one more, turn to Romans chapter 10. This is the calling of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Who are born again? Those who know God as he reveals himself in the glorious person and finished work of Christ, who is the very righteousness of God. Verse 1 of Romans 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're missing some knowledge. Well, what knowledge are they missing? Verse 3, they being ignorant of God's righteousness. What does God require for salvation? What, What is just in God's sight? God's justice, you can say. What is it? Well, somebody says, well... Uh, we got to be the best people we can be. We've got to do our work. We've got to work hard and do, do our best. We've got to keep the law. We've got to get baptized. We've got to join a church. We've got to give our hearts to Jesus. Is that what God requires? If that's what you believe, I want you to know you're ignorant of God's righteousness. Well, look on. He says, 
They're going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Remember back in Romans 1.17, this is the revelation of the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Look at verse 4. Christ is the end of the law, the finishing, the fulfillment of the law, the perfection of the law to everyone that believeth. You see that? For righteousness to everyone that believeth. It's all Christ, and that's how God lays the foundation. This is the doctrine of Christ. It shows us who we are in the, sight, in the light of God's holiness and justice, what we need in light of God's mercy and grace that can only be found in this one person who is God manifest in the flesh. That's the doctrine of Christ, who did that one work on the cross that made things right, with God and his people, from the Old Testament to the rest, all the way up. That's who's born of God. They know him. Let me give you this one. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Who is born of God? Those to whom God has revealed himself in the glorious person and finished work of Christ. And that includes the revelation of our sinfulness, our depravity, our weakness. Lord, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, who shall stay? What you preached this morning, who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? If you know yourself, that's one of the most precious verses in the Bible to you. It's God that justified. I think about that all the time. Look here in Philippians chapter 3. Those who are born of God are those who have been given the gift of repentance of dead works and idolatry. Now this world has confused and really misunderstood the idea of repentance. Most people think repentance has to do with reformations of character and conduct. And though that may be included as an offshoot of repentance, that's not biblical repentance. In the Old Testament, the idea of repentance was a change of direction, totally opposite. What is it, a 180-degree turnaround? I heard a preacher say 360 degrees one time. But that's, no, it's 100. If you're going north, you turn and go south. If you're going south, you turn and go north. The idea of repentance in the New Testament is a change of mind, a change of heart. What is the mind? What is the heart? The mind, the affections, the will, the conscience. And what it has to do with is a change of mind that God brings about by the Spirit concerning who God is and who we are and how God saves sinners. And I'll tell you what, I believe most of us, I, I, I don't want to make these blanket statements all the time, but I believe most of us were saved out of religion. I know the Apostle Paul was. Now, you may have been saved out of the bar room, or you may have been saved out of the drug den. I don't know. And if you were, that's great. But I was saved out of a seminary where I was learning to preach a false gospel. 
You were saved out of a pulpit. You were saved out of a pulpit. You were saved out of religion, weren't you? And I'll tell you, it rocked my world. It turned my world upside down. I found out that I was trying to be a theologian. I didn't even know the true and living God. I was worshiping an idol. Because the God who would accept a sinner like me on any other ground other than the, the worthiness, the merit, the righteousness of his son is an idol. Listen to what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 3. This is, this is repentance that the Holy Spirit has brought by bringing a sinner to faith in Christ because they come together, faith and repentance. You can't turn to Christ without turning away from self. And he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Everything that I thought was noble and right and recommended me unto God, I found out was an abomination to God. And now what the scripture says in what Luke 16, 15, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. He says in verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now that's repentance. That's a change of mind. Paul didn't say, well, now if, if God will accept me if I stop drinking and stop doing this and stop doing... No. He says, but verse 9, he says, I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Think about that. What a change. That's the kind of change that it takes the power of God in Christ to bring about. And Paul's simply saying here, when I saw the, 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 the risen, glorified Christ in his glory, what God requires to save a sinner like me, what it took for Christ to accomplish the ground upon which God would save me, justify me, his redemptive work, when I saw that, all the things that I really thought were impressive to God, I found it that they mean absolutely nothing, less than nothing, even dung, he said. That's the gift of repentance. That's what comes when, when we're born again. Let me give you another one. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Those who are born of God are those who have, whose hearts have been established with grace so as that their motive for obedience is not legalism, not threats of punishment, not fear of loss of reward, not mercenary motives. If you do this, God will add this to you, that kind of thing. But established with grace, with gratitude, and with love. And even then, because of the presence of the flesh, it's a battle, isn't it? Look at Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 4. 
Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law. Now, what does that mean? That means the law has no power over me to condemn me. I cannot be condemned. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who can condemn us? It's Christ that died. And why are we dead to, how are we dead to the law? By our works? By our efforts? By our decisions? No. By the body of Christ. Is, can it be any clearer? And he says that you should be married, united, wed to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should what? Bring forth fruit unto God. Now, in these next two verses, he describes what is fruit unto God and what is fruit unto death. Look at it, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions or the passions of sins, which were by the law, now, I believe mainly what he's talking about is sinners who, by the law, are, are trying to fulfill a passion to be made righteous by their works. And he says, did work in our members to bring forth what? Fruit unto death. Works aimed at salvation. Works aimed at righteousness before God. He calls them fruit unto death. Legalism. But look at verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law. The law has no hold on. We're dead to the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in how? In newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now, what is that newness of the spirit? It's faith which worketh by love. You see, the Holy Spirit in the new birth gives us a new motive a new passion, a new goal. He removed that, that, that motive of legalism. Of course, it's still present in the flesh. As, as Brother Tim James used to say, we're all recovering Pharisees. And we have to fight those old motives of legalism. But he's given us a new motive of grace. Everything I have in salvation all of its benefits and blessings. It's grace. I didn't earn any of it. And I don't deserve any of it. Do you understand that? If God ever gave me what I've earned or deserved, right now, I would be damned forever. It's a gift. Why did he give it to me? And not to somebody else more worthy. Because there's a bunch more worthy than I am. But why did he do that? The only answer the Bible gives is what Christ said in Matthew 11. For so, Father, it seemed good in thy sight. God said it in Romans 9. He said, I'll be merciful to whom I'll be merciful. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. Think about all the people this morning who are on their way or already in a church worshiping a false god. Why aren't you with them? Why aren't I there too? Deceived? Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And then gratitude. If you are aware of what God has given you by the power of the Holy Spirit in the new birth, don't you want to thank God, 
with your life? And I'm not just talking about looking up into the sky and saying, thank you, Lord. Yeah, do that. That's okay. I'm talking about with your life. I want to glorify God. I don't always do that in the way I act. I mess up a lot. But I want to thank God. That's why we worship. You're thanking God. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. That's gratitude. It's not just, it's not just saying, well, say I'm saved by grace and I can go out here and live like hell if I want. No. That's no gratitude. That's spitting in the face of the God you profess to believe. And then love. Faith which worketh by love. I can tell you right now, because of God's grace in my life, and because of the Spirit's work in my life, I love God. But I don't have anything to brag about. I don't love him like I ought to love him. And when I stand before God at judgment, I'm not going to stand there proudly and say, well, God, look how much I loved you. No. I'm going to say, Lord, look how much you loved me and gave yourself for me. The propitiation for my sins. I have nothing to plead before God but his righteousness. I'm not going to, by the grace of God, I'm not going to be like that Pharisee. Well, I thank God that I'm not like other people, that I've done this and done that. You know, they used to get up and give these testimonies, and somebody called them bragamonies. My only plea, Christ died for me. Take me as I am. A sinner saved by grace. I love that hymn. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. And that's the motive of grace and gratitude and love. And we want to glorify God. The good works of a believer should never be intended to draw attention to self but only to point to the power and the goodness and the righteousness and the love and the glory of God. Don't look to me. That's old John the Baptist. He knew that story, didn't he? He knew how to do it. He said, look, I'm not your Savior. He said, Christ must increase. I must decrease. Brother Mahan used to say, preach Christ and get out of the way. That's who's born of God. Here's another one. Turn to, turn to 1 John 3. And I'll hurry here. 1 John chapter 3. Those who are born of God are those who, are, who love the brethren in the faith. Love the brethren in the faith. Look at 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, you know this love is not natural to us. This is not just general love of humanity, love of family. This is a godly love that's given to us in the new birth by the Spirit, shed abroad within our hearts. 
Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sin. And he says in verse 12, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. <laughs> Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. The world will hate you for this love. Do you see that? If you express this kind of love. You, call, you know why it will hate you? Because it force, this kind of love forces us to tell them the truth. To spread forth the light that men and women by nature hate to glorify God and not men. If a person would tell me, for example, and I'm not saying I'm the judge and the jury and the executioner, and I'm not saying I know the hearts of all people. I don't. Only God does. But if a person would come and tell you and say, now I'm, I'm going to do the best I can and that'll be enough at judgment, what are you going to tell that person? If you love that person, I'm going to say, my friend, that'll send you right to hell. You're lost. People don't like to hear that. And the world doesn't perceive that as love, do they? They say, well, you're crazy. Or you think you're right and everybody's wrong. But look at verse 14. But we know that we have passed from death unto life. That's the new birth. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us love not, not let us not love in word, just say it, but neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now this love is that love which God has given us in Christ that binds us together in the faith. It doesn't always express itself in the fact that we just like everybody. We may have brothers and sisters in Christ that we just don't get along with. Personality clashes, all kinds of things. And we're all sinners. You all have heard me quote the poem, To live above with saints we love will be an awesome glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. But what keeps us together, even in spite of our sinfulness and selfishness? It's our mutual love for God in Christ. Somebody in the church here makes you mad. What are you, what are you going to do? You going to leave? Huh? You going to take you going to take your ball and go home because they're not playing by your rules? Well, now if you love God and you love His truth, you're going to come where the man who stands behind this pulpit preaches that God you love. And that truth you love. And you're going to support the brethren in the faith. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about our personalities and all. And, and listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not excusing us when we have do bad things and make mistakes and have a terrible personality. No, we should all try to improve those things. And we should be, we should be able to love and to forgive and to forbear one another, and to say, I'm sorry, and to say, I forgive you, all of that. 
But that which binds us together and keeps us together is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. I like what Peter said when Christ, the multitude went away and Christ turned to him and said, you going to go also? He said, to whom shall we go? You've got the words of life. I hope that you love and you get along with the person who's sitting next to you. But even if you don't, this is where you need to be. You need to hear the truth. Don't you want to hear somebody get up and like Richard does every Sunday and brag on your Savior? Like Gary does. Kenny, when you preach, and Aub, when you preach, don't you? That's what I want. I want to be there. I don't want to miss that. Well, that's who's born of God. And then lastly, turn to 1 John chapter 3 again. Stay right there. And go over to verse 9. Who's born of God? This last point, those who persevere in the faith. And they do so not by their own power, not by their own goodness, but by the power and the goodness and the grace of God. Now, I don't have time to go into all the context of this verse. I've got messages on this, and I've, I've, uh, I've even argued with preachers over this. I told one one time, I said, your problem is you never get, let the scriptures get in the way of your theology. But listen to what it says in verse 9. We'll just read verse 9. Whosoever is born of God, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? doth not commit sin. Well, is that what it says? Yeah. And he cannot sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. Well, what's John talking about? Well, you've got to go back to the context of this. And you'll find that what the Apostle John is speaking of is something very specific in a particular context concerning what he had written over, for example, look across the page to 1 John 2, verse 18. He says, little children, this is 1 John 2 and verse 18. It is the last time, and as you have heard, the, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now look at verse 19. This is important. They went out from us. They left. Now who's he talking about? But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. He's talking about the many in this church who had apostatized. As Paul said, they went unto perdition. They claimed to believe the gospel, the same gospel you believe. But then they left it. They turned against it, forsook it. And what does John say about them? Well, they were saved, but then they lost their salvation. No, that's not what he says. He said they never were saved. They never were born again. They never were true believers. If they had been, what would they have done? They'd re remained with us. 
but they went out. And that's what he says in verse 20, but you have an unction from the Holy One. You've got an anointing from Christ, and you know all things, all things pertaining to salvation. You read the rest of these verses. Now, what he's saying over here in verse 9 is, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. He's talking about the sin of apostasy. If you are truly born of God, you cannot apostatize. As I said, you can't ignore it, you can't deny it, and you can't leave it. And you know why? It's because God will not let you go. I know whom I have believed that I'm persuaded that he is able, not that I'm able, he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And what have I committed unto him? My whole salvation. Not one part of my salvation is committed unto me, but I'm committed to it. And he's committed to me. And that's what John is saying. He's, some people, they go to this verse and they say, well, that's talking about a new sinless nature. My friend, that's heresy. Or there's part of me that does not sin. Where do you find that in the Bible? That's a, that's a dichotomy that the Greeks might come up with, but not, not, not the Word of God. He says this, he says, For his seed remaineth in him. What is that seed? That's his children. That's his offspring. That's what that word means. In other words, the children of God, they remain in God, in Christ. And he cannot sin. He cannot leave. He cannot apostatize. Because he's born of God. God does not impute sin to him because Christ died for him. The Holy Spirit resides within him. And though he may stray for a while, he's on God's leash. That's what we are. We're people on God's leash. We're children. Sometimes God lets us stray, but he's always going to bring us back. He will not let us apostatize. We will persevere unto the end by the grace and the power and the glory of God. Well, let's have a prayer for the food in the back, and we'll check and see if the ladies have got it all ready, and then we'll make our way back to the back. All if you would lead us in closing prayer, please.